For many of us, our reading of the Old Testament has been informed by theological frameworks that have obscured the often subversive nature of the Bible's presentation of women and led to interpretations that can be harmful to women. But what if there was a way to read the Hebrew scriptures faithfully by bringing our honest questions to the sometimes troubling details of the narratives concerning women and wrestling with what we find in order to reclaim these stories and communicate the truth of women's equality with men before God in the context in which we currently live. I'm Kenny Innes, and that's the conversation I had with Ali Blackley-Whittle for this episode. Ali teaches study skills, research methods, and biblical studies at WTC. She also supports students with their essay writing by providing appropriate resources and advice, and works alongside students with neurodiversity, learning difficulties, or disabilities. Ali holds a BA in Art History with English at Glasgow University and a Graduate Diploma and MA at WTC, and has taught English and study skills in various schools and colleges for around 20 years. Before we begin, this episode contains discussion of sexual assault, abuse, and violence against women. If you would like more information on the issues discussed or to get help if you're affected, then please check the show notes for links to helpful organizations. Ali, it is delightful to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Kenny. It's good to be here. We're going to have a, a discussion around seeing the women of the Old Testament. And how can we maybe reclaim some of those narratives that have been hidden and obscured um, by the ways that we've read scripture? But before we get into that, we want to see you, Ali, want to know you a little bit, get to know you some. And one of the ways that we've been doing that in the podcast with first time guests is just to ask a few questions about some of the things that our guests have that are constants in their life. And so the three categories of that is um, a book that you return to uh, a food or or, or a meal that you return to and um, or a place that you return to Mm. and so none of these answers are going to be engraved in stone it's just kind of how you feel today (laughs) the one thing you can't do is you can't say um the bible for the book if that's all right okay yeah that's fine i'm gonna go really lowbrow on that one okay go for it (laughs) um yeah because i was thinking about what did i read during lockdown and the pandemic as an old favourite for my comfort. <laughs> and um, actually, I reread um, some Georgette Heyer novels. And um, there's one in particular called The Grand Sophie. Huh. And um, it's about a woman who, um, I think it's the early 19, uh, 19th century, and she gets she gets uh, brought up by her dad travelling with the army around Europe. And so she, when she arrives back in London in polite society, she doesn't follow the rules. So she, you know, she like has a gun in her purse so that she can whip it out if she has any trouble with the men. <laughs> so actually that that relates well with this uh, podcast, doesn't it? It does. I could see you enjoying that. It's great. <laughs> uh, right. What about a food? Oh, I, I think it's always toast. A nice piece of crunchy toast with some nice orange marmalade. Yeah, just you can't beat that. Now you're a white bread person, wheat bread. Uh, sort of seeded, a good seeded batch. 
And and what about a place that you might return to? Okay, well, every October, uh, my husband and I, um, or beginning of November, go up to North Wales, uh, to the Snowdonia area, and um, we just love going up there because of the the forests and the mountains and and the beach as well, and you get everything, and that's our sort of escape every autumn. Are you quite an outdoorsy person? Yeah, well, we love mountain biking, so there's some great mountain bike trails up there, and. Uh, Cody Brennan Forest is um, kind of the birthplace of mountain biking and it's still a great place to go. I just have a lot of respect for people who go to rest by doing mountain biking and running and hiking. Oh, but the forest is just such a brilliant place to be. Sounds like a lot of effort to me. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have to take you to get muddy one day. There you go. (laughs) In in one of the Scottish forests. Let's kind of talk about what we have you mm. um, on the podcast to talk about. And at WTC, you teach in a couple of programs. I've had the, the pleasure of being in one of your sessions when you spoke about seeing women in the Old Testament. And maybe you can just speak to that a little bit about, you know, how that became kind of an interest for you. Um, I think I grew up in church where um, it felt like it was a bit uncertain what to do with women. <laughs> And um, so, you know, there was always just men in the pulpit um, and that sort of thing. And um, I think I actually grew up with a kind of I'm not sure how God feels about me. And um, I think from quite an early age as well, I was um, aware of these issues in society. And I remember being called a women's libber. Um, and that wasn't necessarily a polite, like a positive thing, <laughs> even though I thought, why is not everyone <laughs> For women's right. liberation you know right. um and so actually um I, I ended up coming and studying and that was very liberate liberating for me because I've done the graduate diploma and the master's uh, myself and then I was asked if I'd like to teach for a couple of hours on uh, the uh, level four that's the cert H-E-B-A beginners um all introduction to the old testament would I like to do a couple of hours and I was like oh this is a great opportunity and I was just asked what would you like to talk about um, and so that's how it started. I suggested women, attitudes to women in the Hebrew Bible. And um, so that's why I've ended up teaching that um, for a few years since. Yeah, I guess it, it does go to that. Not only, I guess you're talking about growing up and seeing only men, you know, in the pulpit kind of. Mm. But I wonder if that's also kind of translates to the way that we read the scriptures. Mm. So maybe we only see the men and we can maybe talk about why that is but i think for most people i would suspect that if we were asked to name significant figures in the old testament our minds would reach for um for men so why do you think that is because there are actually there's a myriad of significant women in the old testament (laughs) but why do we gravitate to one rather than the other yeah well i think it is because we are in patriarchal society and have been and so by that patriarchal society I mean um, a society where the social system is set up um, where the positions of dominance and privilege are held by men so um, so it's male focused for a male audience and they might not even see the women um, the assumption that the women take second place so I think because uh, because of that and therefore because uh, most of the preachers through 
like well the last two thousand years have mostly been men from that society um that actually it um the preaching has been male focused and um and and sometimes maybe deliberately avoiding the women as well i don't know um and actually women in the text become unseen themselves sometimes as well and we can talk about why maybe later we are dealing with scriptures that are also written about and from within a patriarchal culture as well would you say that's also maybe part of it Yes, yeah, so on a surface reading, it might seem like it is um, just all about the male dominance. Um, but what we're going to talk about today is that actually scripture is very subversive um, if we start to dig a bit deeper beyond um, a surface reading. Um, and actually, if we start even just on a surface reading, taking note of all the women that there are there. And, um, you know, for example, um, we talk about the patriarchs a lot, but there's actually a lot more matriarchs. <laughs> <laughs> than there are patriarchs <laughs> um, and not for a good reason but <laughs> there actually are so sometimes it is just starting to notice the women that are there um but then it's also about um going underneath that and looking at what the authors might be trying to c convey through the way they're telling their stories or the writing their poetry um and what they're actually trying to communicate to the readers um, I think another reason why we sometimes don't hear a lot of sermons about women is that they are um, some very shocking stories about women. And um, uh, Phyllis Tribble, um, who is a famous theologian, um, actually called them texts of terror. So I think sometimes we don't know what maybe what to do with them as well. And um, maybe we think that they you know, shouldn't be heard in a church because actually they are horrific and touch on some of the worst things that are happening in society uh, still today. And so they are difficult things to talk about. And so maybe that's another, another way that they've been silenced. And that's a real conflict we haven't, we want to present, we want to present the scriptures as kind of, um, all of the positive aspects without necessarily digging into some of those problematic stories. Yeah. But as you say, so many of those problematic stories contain kind of violence um, towards women. So how do, how is it possible for us to maintain kind of a faithful posture towards reading the scriptures while at the same time being able to acknowledge that there are problematic texts of violence and abuse towards women within them? Yeah. Well, I think the first place is to start with being honest about it and on, and actually on a number of levels, you know, so being honest that we have our own biases that we're coming to the text with um, and assumptions about what it says already based on what we've already been told it says in a patriarchal reading. Um, and so that lens might be determining our um, interpretation of the text. Um and then being honest about how we feel about what we're reading as well. And that actually, if we are feeling revulsed by it, disturbed, uncomfortable, it is all right to say that, um, you know, and to actually say, I, I don't like this, what I'm reading in scripture, because maybe that's actually what you're supposed to feel. Maybe that's what your reaction is supposed to be. And so creating this safe environment where it's okay to say, and then okay to question, and okay to wrestle with the text because that's what the text wants us to do in order to teach us and instruct us. That sounds a little bit like a little bit scary. 
Yeah, it does. Because yeah. it, it almost feels like sometimes maybe we're making a judgment, mm. you know, on the Bible. Mm. Um, you know, maybe we need to think about yeah. that the authors are actually constructing things in a particular way. Yes. And so um, authorial intent, I mean, we can ne- never actually know exactly what the authorial intent is, but because of a lot of scripture is written as narrative, as story, then actually that gives um, a lot of freedom to readers and hearers because of the genre that it's written in. Um, you know, so it gives us the the um, ability to come to the text with those questions and to look at, okay, what's happening to the characters? And this is the other level of honesty is actually to look at what's actually happening to these characters. What is their experience um, with all of their flaws as well as their strengths? So we're not just going, oh, here are our heroes or heroines, you know, so with men and women, look at both. What, what are their all their flaws as well as their strengths? Um, without sugarcoating. And isn't it amazing that this people group have actually kept these stories where their main heroes are that bad in their scriptures to learn from? Like, that's remarkable that they don't, don't sugarcoat it because they want to remember, look, these are the things that we shouldn't be doing because these are the consequences. Yeah, and we we have it seems like we have this desire to, like you said earlier, maintain the heroism mm. of the of the male figures. By necessity, then sometimes the women are cast, you know, as temptresses or yeah. as the troublemakers. And I think it's helpful for us to remember that the scriptures, just because something is in the Bible, doesn't yeah. mean it's advocated by the Bible. No, exactly, and. Um... Yeah, so it's it's re- it's reading the scriptures for what what's what it's actually trying to say through that, and it's definitely not advocating that behaviour. And you can see from the out, outworkings of that David's of David's story. I mean, if you read, you know, the whole of two Samuel, and you look at what happens to his, like the dysfunction in his family, is is horrific, and it all comes from his um the, his womanizing multiple wives. Um, his rape of Bathsheba, which then has father, like father-like son, you know, he has a son that rapes a daughter. And, you know, it, this just goes on and on and on, getting worse and worse and worse. So we are supposed to see, look, this is the consequences of this sort of behaviour. And so that's the way it's, it is subverting the worst aspects of patriarchal systems and how they're actually, it's actually abusive. And so if if we read it with what appears to be the authorial intent if we read it from that we're honest about questioning what's difficult about Mm -hmm. it for us and we enter into that frame of mind yeah yeah so it's helping us to um you know see how how god sees yeah so it's saying god sees all of this and it's not right and and god wants you to know it's not right so he wants all the women to know it's right not right the men to not right no it's not right and of course it has as big and it has a terrible impact on men it's not just about condemning the men here this dysfunction between men and women that happens you know in Genesis 3 after the fall story um it has a terrible impact on the whole of humanity that's really good there is this this subversive way that the scriptures are written and if we pick up on that then we begin to see so Bathsheba is no longer mm. a, a side character to David's story mm. yeah. but she becomes important in and of herself mm. as as 
as uh, an example of mm. um, what happens to women when men go mm. wrong. And and I think you're right. You we do see that all the way back to Genesis three when you have this kind of this power structures introduced after the fall, where mm. men suddenly be- begin to subjugate women and. Mm. Once you see that, I think you you see it played out yeah. in multiple instances throughout the Hebrew scriptures. Yes, the biblical story is all all about how that the Genesis three post fall situation plays out, and how how actually it contrasts with the Genesis one and two garden imagery of equality, and you do get popping up through the scriptures images where the um, the garden imagery and equality do pop up up again. Like Song of Songs, for example, it's it's all garden imagery. So it's echoing Genesis um, one and two. You've got the the toing and froing of the male voice with the female voice, and actually the female voice has more words. And you have um, the reversal of the 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 Genesis three of where the woman um, the woman what's it longs for her husband, but he rules over her. Um, desire, um, desire, and that's reversed completely in Song of Songs, where it's it's how the 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 man desires her. Um, so you know, and there's that deliberate echo. So, so it's really good to have Genesis one to three in mind as we are reading the whole of Scripture, and that that can actually our reading of Genesis one to three can really that lens informs how we read the rest of Scripture. So if we actually start with Genesis 1 and 2 and the equality of, of male and female and then both being given exactly the same commission, then that's what we need to be looking at as that that's the goal for humanity. And um, and then the Genesis 3 is, but this is what happens. And then we start to see the terrible consequences of that all the way through. But there is there is this gold thread that sometimes become more highlighted like in songs of song, song of songs, but even in the places of horror, showing that horror is at the flip side of that is if you recognise it and you can do something about it, and you realise that God doesn't stand for it, then that's the light in the horror. Maybe we can dig into one of those instances, mm. one of those parts with the golden thread, like you say lights up in this story those of us who've grown up in church when we were taught judges will have heard about the heroic exploits of Gideon and Samson and maybe some others maybe Ehud if your Sunday school teacher was trying to really gross you out (laughs) but judges is is a vital Mm. book when we come to understanding how God sees women who have been forgotten in the old testament yeah and maybe we can talk a little bit about how that book in particular highlights the way that women are sometimes obscured or silenced by our more established readings mm. yeah so it's really interesting because there are a lot of women actually in judges and actually if you start at the beginning you've got women who've got names axa she's given away which is not great to othniel but she's got agency so she comes to her father caleb asking for land and for water you know, so she's got a name and she's got the agency to ask for what she wants and her father gives her that. And then we've got Deborah, again, named. She's a prophet, a judge, a war leader, a songwriter. And we've got JL and she defeats the enemy king. But then interestingly, after that, the women start to lose their names. You've got the women of, woman of Thebes and then Manoah's wife, Jephthah's daughter, Samson's wife, Micah's mother, the Levite's concubine. So... Um, you, you can hear that 
they're individual, but they're not anymore because they've lost their name. And they're actually then only talked about in relation to the men that they are attached to as the wife of or the daughter of. And then at the end, you have these groups of women who are just nameless groups. So women of Gibeah, or they might be called the non-virgins or the virgins. You know, so now they're, it's about their sexual status. And what's really interesting as well as that, slowly things get worse and worse for the women as the, as the narrative progresses. So like the high point is Deborah and JL and, you know, their story is celebrated in both prose and poetry. Like two chapters are, are like, wow, these are our heroes, you know. Um, but um, after that, and particularly with what happens to Jephthah's daughter, it gets worse and worse. So she gets burned. Um, offered as a sacrifice by her father. And then Samson's first wife is like given away to his best man without any choice and then later burned to death. So, you know, the, the women in Samson's life were all ca- caught up in his sort of male posturing with other men and they get caught up in that. You know, and they, then it can culminates in the worst possible ways uh, from Judges 19 onwards where you've got the Levite's concubine who then gets gang raped possibly to death but we don't know maybe her husband actually kills her by chopping her up and then sending around Israel in 12 pieces and and then from that one incident it then degenerates into civil war and then you've got whole whole tribe of women being wiped out apart from you know the some that aren't virgins and then then because there's not enough women left for Benjamin they um go and capture the virgins of Jabesh Gilead and the daughters of Shiloh get also get carried off and put into forced marriages. So, so this sort of like snowball effect of horror just escalates and escalates for the women, but also for the men. You know, it just degenerates into war, war and t- turmoil. So you get that sort of um, progression through the book of Judges and you're supposed to notice that. Yeah, so is there something to say there then about the trajectory of how the women are treated? You know, has this deep connection with the um, the outcomes for the people as a whole? Yeah, so um, one of the main things that Judges is trying to get across is this repeated phrase about how the people are seeing with their own eyes and doing what's right in their own eyes um, and not in God's eyes. And so you're supposed to notice that this is all what's right in their eyes. And so actually you could read what's happening in Judges as that there's a correlation between how badly they treat women and how far away they are from God. Because the further away they are from God and seeing with God's eyes, the worse this situation gets for the women well, and, and for the whole nation, actually. I love this idea of seeing with God's eyes mm. because reading judges like this gets us away from that hero centered mm. version. Yeah. And we begin to actually see the women for who they really are. Mm. Even the nameless ones, we begin to see yeah. their value and, um, and how God sees them. Yes. And the being nameless is actually what the author is doing to show that this is what happens to women, that the, the author um, isn't trying to make them unseen. You're supposed to see them, but realise that the society has made them nameless. They now are now just objects or groups of objects, um, and they uh, that are being treated like that. Mm. 
So right after Judges and connected really yeah. to that period is the story of Ruth, which feels like a completely different thing. Yeah. How do they segue together to consolidate this mm. kind of perspective that we're talking about? Yeah, so you are supposed to do exactly what you've done, which is read from Judges in uh, into Ruth. And it, like I say, it almost brings you up short because of the contrast. Um, so you're supposed to have in mind that awful background of what's going on with women. And then you've got these two women, Naomi and Ruth, as the main characters. And um, so uh, now a story about two named women in these four chapters. And what's so remarkable is you've got a Moabite woman of all women. If you look at Moab and the relationship between Israel and Moab, so of all women, a Moabite woman is depicted in Ruth to show Israel actually what behavior they are supposed to have so at uh, the loving kindness that they are supposed to display the loyalty to Yahweh to God that they are supposed to have Boaz actually equates her with Abraham because she's left her people and come to this people and she's committed to made a covenant with this God you know so she's like this better matriarch <laughs> than their major patriarch of Abraham which and this is another way it's just it's so subversive and not just Ruth, but um, you've then got Boaz, who is a man who is so different from these other men. You know, they we've got this view of all this toxic masculinity, as we might call it now, in Judges. And then here we've got Boaz, who is a man who is creating a safe, safe place for women. A man who sees Ruth for who she is and actually raises her up, says how amazing she is as a woman, how she's been demonstrating loving kindness. And he's the one who equates her essentially with her, what she's done with what Abraham does. You know, he's he's not afraid of that strength and everything that he sees in Ruth. And what's beautiful, I think, is that this man and this woman together are presented as equals. Um, and there's actually a particular Hebrew word, chayil, uh, um, that the text of Ruth actually uses for both of them. And it's often used in a, a way to, about a warrior. It's about warriors and strength. But in this context, this is what real strength and valor is. It is being people of loving kindness, creating safe places. It's not the military toxic stuff that we've just had in Judges, but it's actually what we are seeing being recreated in Ruth is actually that identic image from Genesis 1 and 2. They're in a field. You know, <laughs> again, that's that. It's that. It's that garden imagery, if you like. And then you've got a man and a woman who meet as equals, and uh well, she's raised up as an equal. And then they're then being presented as this is how you create a safe place. And then we see the influence that they then have on the rest of their community in Bethlehem. And then they actually then are the place where the Messiah comes from. What's interesting as well is that Boaz is operating in some ways within a patriarchal structure and yet um mm. there's this there's this imagery that breaks through those structures where you do see them yes and he actually uses that structure of doing the business at the gate um he actually kind of tricks the other uh, redeemer and either way um he's you know uh, he's either going to have to marry Ruth or Boaz will and then he'll lose the lose the land so, so Boaz actually manipulates the patriarchal structure and therefore subverts it to do what he knows is the right thing. 
so so yeah you see a man you know playing the game if you like but actually therefore undermining the structure itself what a message um for those of us who are men in our time and i think you know we we could talk we could unpack this because those texts are so rich and once you start kind of seeing it from this perspective mm. all of this stuff starts to spring up within it um mm. but we only have a limited time yeah <laughs> maybe we'll do it maybe we'll do another conversation but i think it'd be good you know just to to turn ourselves to um thinking about how can this kind of approach then to the scriptures what you've spoken about earlier about you know kind of being honest considering the authorial intent um you know thinking of the scriptures as as kind of subversive in the way sometimes they're presenting these stories of women mm. how can that approach help us now to communicate the value of women in our contemporary context mm. well i think it can help us to actually interpret scripture in in this positive way and to challenge us to not just read it with the interpretations that we've inherited maybe from these patriarchal societies um and you know see it the fact that um god is for women all the way through from genesis 1 and 2 we can see that and with equal commission with no limits and always sees and condemns that violence and that they're included in every level in terms of the roles in society as well if we actually look for it in in the old testament and i think um you know from my experience of teaching it as well it is really liberational not just for for women but for for men and i i've had experiences where you know women have said to me doing this teaching and seeing the the text like this has made me realize how it made me doubt my value before god and it, therefore it's affected my relationship with god because i've not been sure that he sees me as the same value as other human beings um and then seeing this Make, makes women realize that they are and it can actually repair a relationship with god based on a based on that but it's also liberating for men and women together to realize that um you know we're, it, we're here for mutual support and um to create a, a just society we need both voices and the strengths of both genders and that they're not poles apart as sometimes our society tries to put us into these gender stereotypes and our strength comes from working together and having us all in the room and that's the shared responsibility then as well no burden on one um rather than the other and that then strengthens not just individuals but communities and and our and our churches if we understand from the the scriptures that god sees the women there even though they have in many ways been um subjugated or silenced then mm. it, it helps us now to be keenly aware of the ways that still our own culture silences and and takes the voice from women yeah so so that's it that's the way that the you know the scripture is trying to is is being a mirror to all generations and again this is the strength of a lot of it being story of narrative because a story speaks beyond its original context into all contexts um, and it is supposed to be a mirror. It's supposed, you're supposed to see this is all of this in Judges that we've just talked about is happening right now as we have this conversation. Um, and and that's also what Judges is trying to say 
um, because at the end we realised that it's actually, you pointed this out to me when we had a con- pre-conversation, that actually it's all still the same generation <laughs> because Phineas is still there, Aaron's son. Yep. And you're like, and so you've had this sort of spiral of downwards, but you realise that it's actually then concertina's back on itself and it's to pe- make the point that it's happening all the time right now and that's the same for us in our context as well. Yeah, so it's supposed to wake us up and and uh, make us look at ourselves properly and what are we doing and what we're going to do about it. Um, but it can only do that if we actually speak about it in our churches and if we talk to our sons and our daughters about this um, and have these open and honest uh, conversations. And this is why theology and wrestling with the scripture is so important. Mm. It's not just theoretical. No. Because um, we're talking about the lives of real people. Mm. And in this instance, we're talking about the lives of women that mm. these kind of readings, negative readings have had a real effect. And um, yes, and not even just, you know, in terms of the physical violence that we've talked about, but actually, you know, the the subtle, continual undermining um, that goes on and all the other levels of abuse um, in terms of emotional, financial, you know, it's not the physical, the physical is is horrific. But then there's so many other levels to it as well. Um, And as soon as you open the door for any inequality, you open the door for all of it. Um, And that's what's of such concern in the church, is that if we open the door for any inequality, we're opening the door for all of this. I wonder just as we, we finish now, um, and sometimes we do this, but I think it really would be be good in this instance. Um, there's obviously will be women who are listening to this who have felt silenced in their own lives. Mm-hmm. And there may be men who are listening who realize they've either contributed to that or they're realizing just mm-hmm. the ways that they have understood mm-hmm. um, and read the scriptures that maybe need need to change. Mm. Could could you maybe just end just by praying for those that are listening and mm. um, that they would see themselves as God sees them? Oh God, we thank you for these scriptures, and we thank you that um, for this this people group handed have handed them down to us with such honesty, um, so that we can wrestle with all of these uh, things that um, we see in this world. And um, as we wrestle with the human condition and as we wrestle with relationships. Um, and, I, and I do pray for all of us that you would um, help us increasingly to see with your eyes and to read these scriptures with your eyes. I pray that you challenge all of us where we come with um, biases that are not right and with interpretations that do not bear um, good fruit and um, give us the courage to change our mind where we need to, um, change our hearts where we need to be changed. And I just pray for um, healing for those who have um, felt that doubt about their value and I pray that you would really minister them to them and speak to them now, that they are seen, fully seen, that they are loved and they are valued. And um, 
yeah, just pray that you bring healing for them. And thank you for all the men, Lord, who are, and I've seen men in, in my classroom crying, and that is just so beautiful. Um, so I thank you for all the men who um, don't want to be part of um, these negative patriarchal structures and are working to bring them down. And I just pray that together we can create that image of um, safe spaces um, where there's equality and where uh, power and valour looks like your loving kindness. I pray that we'd be able to create these spaces in our homes, in the places that we work and in our churches, and that our churches could um, again be places where um, that culture of Eden um, emanates from and spreads across our nation. Amen. Amen. And Ali, thank you for your voice, for um, sharing with us what you have today. I do hope you'll come back in the future and mm. bring us more of kind of your wisdom and um, what you've learned um, and help mm. us to see things in, in different ways. I really appreciate you being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Kenny. Thank you so much, Ali, for giving us some valuable new insights into women of the Old Testament. If this episode has affected you personally, or if you'd like more info regarding these issues, then please have a look at the show notes on the podcast page for a list of organisations that could help you in whatever situation you find yourself in. In our next Theodisc episode, Kenny will be joined by Dr. Adesola Akala, who's an expert on the Gospel of John and has a genuine deep love for this book of the Bible. It promises to be full of biblical depth. Theodisc is part of WTC, a theological college that seeks to partner with the church through equipping and sending the whole people of God. Our innovative hub model allows you to study on any of our part-time programmes without leaving your work or ministry. Come and find out more at wtctheology.org.uk. Thank you for listening to episode 14 of Theodisc. Join us for episode 15 with Shola Akala when we talk about glory in the Gospel of John. Bye for now.